As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. baseball show for wednesday december 6th we're talking about a lot we're talking about nothing at the same time it's been a really dormant winter meetings uh we can mention the bidding war for eric fetty i don't actually think it's a bidding war though it's two years for 10 and we just don't know the team so i guess he has identical deals and we don't know which one so the report was mets and white Sox. shout out eric fetty the kbo mvp jack arum it is wednesday december 6th are you upset with the lack of action that we've gotten in nashville you just got there yeah, no, I just got here, so I'm, I'm hoping they were just saving it for me. Um, we'll see if I can kind of get something sparked up and going on the stove. But uh, no, I, I, I kind of feel like this is what we always do, right? We always do this where I feel like MLB always wants to package the winter meetings as like this this event, right? And they, they continue to do that now with the, the draft lottery, which is happening as we're recording this, so it shows you how much we care about that. Uh, yeah. But also just I, I think it's one of those things that – the idea of it is awesome. You think that a bunch of things are going to go down, but I think a lot of times it just lays the groundwork for a lot of the deals that end up happening. So it's essential. It's important, but you know, we don't know what's going on behind those closed doors. And sometimes it just, it's just laying the groundwork and getting those negotiations or conversations going. And then we end up hearing them a little bit later. That said, I do think some things are going to happen in the next 24 to 48. I do. I think so, too. One of the points that I really liked that Walker Bueller made with us on Monday was that this can be a good chance to start dialogue between executives saying, hey, if you move this guy at the deadline, know that we are interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that. And I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, I think we're constantly 
at deadline time, we're constantly looking at, okay, who are the sellers? Who are the buyers? And we don't think about previous discussions that teams have had regarding certain individuals. And I think the best example of that is Bo Bichette and the Cubs right now, because there have been several reports across the last year and change, I want to say, of Bichette and the Cubs. And while there may not be any fire that ever comes of that, they're rubbing the sticks together, it seems. Yep. Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins, and then Ross Atkins, too. If you have just a quick conversation and Ross Atkins is saying, hmm, we're in a really bad spot. Maybe I should think about moving Bichette because we can get a King's Ransom. The first team that pops into his mind is the Chicago Cubs. And I feel like a lot of those conversations start at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville right now. A hundred percent. I also just have a fantastic headline, which was inevitable, inevitable. And in this stretch of the winter meetings, (laughs) this is from Bob Nightingale, too, which makes it even better. Cubs and Rays have discussed Christopher Morrell and Tyler Glass now trade talks. I don't get it. Morrell. Morel, baby. Also, I will say Morel fits exactly what the Rays always go for. Crazy EVs, crazy just tools out the ass, but like you just don't know how it all comes together like Jose Siri, and then somehow it comes together for those guys. Um, obviously, it came together for Morel to a degree, but yeah, we're just going to keep hearing this poor guy's name. I feel bad for him at this point, um, just considering how much it's going to come up. But it's just I, I, it was inevitable within the first couple of days in the winter meetings that we're going to get Morel floated uh, in another trade conversation. So the last time we talked about Morel was like two, three weeks ago. And I said, are, are we viewing him as this godlike figure? What's what's happening? Why is he viewed as this main piece in every return? And now with his name coming up again, I think I've shifted my perspective on Morel to, oh my gosh, the Cubs just want to get rid of this guy. It seems like it, right? It just seems like no, we don't. We won't trade a prospect. Just, just take Morel. And I, I get that he's kind of the odd man out, but it doesn't help when his name just seems. And it, it, it seems to just always get out too. It every doesn't help time. when his name is coming up every single time because. Uh, I don't know and about- we talked about this. Every time it comes up, you lose more and more value in that name. And we've seen the Cubs do a lot of good things, right? We, we, I think it's easy to believe in what they're doing, what they're building, and and from top to bottom. But we haven't really seen them go on the other side and make that trade. We talk about that with AJ Preller all the time, right? He can replenish talent. Obviously, they go out and they get those free agents and things like that. But yeah. when he has to go swing for the fences and make the deals, sometimes he gives up too many prospects and too many good prospects, and it doesn't always work out. Or other guys just can't seem to finish the deal uh, or can't seem to close it and, and push it across the finish line, and then they regret not doing it. I'm interested to see what the aggressive version of, of Hoyer in this Cubs front office is because now they're on the forefront, right? They're, they're going to subtract prospects potentially and, and add big league talent. And I think that's harder sometimes than the other way around because you can't mess it up. You don't get a do-over there. When was the last time we saw them be aggressive? Theo Epstein was there the last time they were aggressive. And I think the last aggressive deal that they made was with you, Darvish, pre-COVID. Yep, but yep. before that, you got to go back to Jason Hayward ahead of 2016 and John Lester ahead of 2015, I want to say, where he signed a $155 million deal. Um, and, and that was a little worrisome for them. But yeah, it, it is going to be fascinating because recent memory – would I think have people thinking about the Cubs is offloading expiring deals for prospects and David Robertson for Ben Brown is a great example. Chris Bryant, 
Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez for PCA straight up. Those are great examples. But now they're sitting on the other side where they have a top five farm system in baseball, arguably, and they're going to go try and get a guy that's owed $20 million in the final year of his contract. So it'll be interesting, man. Um, Jeffrey Yan, your guy, Marlins minor leaguer, signed a one-year $500,000 deal with incentives to get him up to 800K uh, with the Cebu Lions in the NPB. So Jeffrey Yan going to Japan, the most electric strikeout celebrator that we've got. It's And if you think the name sounds familiar, it's the guy that you've seen go viral, that left-hander, super skinny, wiry, that literally jumps and like might as well be doing backflips when he strikes guys out. Like he is, he is just energized, energized, energized. I know that he's a big fan of, of, of C4, uh, but I'm excited for him because that's a guy that I, I saw go through the minor leagues for a couple of years. And uh, you see the, the passion that he plays with, but he was pitching in, in a men's league. I'm pretty sure in the Dominican, like a few years ago and just got an opportunity because he threw gas Marlon sign him. And, you know, he showed enough to, to get this big contract over there in Japan. So you always love to see that stuff. And maybe he comes back to the big leagues and you know gets an opportunity there. Uh, after showing out in Japan, I do wonder how they like some of the uh, loud excitement um, mm-hmm. out out in Japan. But other than that, I think it'll be fun. One more thing before we get to uh, a notable trade involving the American League West and then looking back at the season that was in the American League West. Quickly, a scheduling note. Uh, Peter was trying so hard for like half an hour to get on this Zoom, but his laptop was not cooperating. So we're going to do a big free agent prediction episode tomorrow with the three of us. Uh, You'll hear that likely on Thursday when you wake up. So just know that if you get deals coming out, it's not our fault that we were delaying. It's Peter's laptop's problem. and, And unfortunately, we can figure that out. Um, last thing before we get to that notable trade that we haven't talked about yet involving Jared Kelnick going to Atlanta, the MLB draft lottery results are yeah. in. Cleveland had a 2% chance at the number one overall pick. The Cleveland Guardians will pick first in 2024. Top five is Cleveland, Cincinnati, Colorado, Oakland, and the White Sox. Does Cleveland go chase Burns? I'm obsessed with that guy. I I'm so excited to see what they do. Um, I think there's a couple of the bats, and we'll we'll talk about it, you know, pretty soon. But I think there's a couple of the bats that you might be too good to 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 pass on. Uh, but we said that last year too, so that'll never be a thing ever again, I guess. Uh, but I love JJ Weatherholt. There's there's a few guys. Yeah. Burns is all obviously very special too. Vance Honeycutt, North Honeycutt Carolina, really good. The Guardians. I mean, I, this is why I like the lottery though. Like, screw you, A's. Like, not the A's themselves. Like, the, but you know, front office ownership. Like. I, I don't want to reward that behavior. Uh, the Royals don't really want to reward your behavior. And, you know, they don't have a great pick. The Reds, on the other hand, though, uh, they got screwed so hard in the last draft that I'm glad they uh, were able to kind of get back up to the top there. The, the, the lotteries have been bizarre, the first two that we've had in MLB. I feel like generally in the NBA, it shakes out the way you think it is with like one or two switching around. With the MLB lottery, I don't know what the difference is in probability. I haven't really looked at it side by side, but I can promise you the last, the first two that we've gotten have had way more chaos than any NBA lottery I've, I can remember. Yeah, it's it's fun. I do like this MLB draft lottery. Um, the one that really entices me is Cincinnati at two. You mentioned like they've gotten screwed. Cincinnati at two. I do think that they could go. I do think that they go pitching. Chase Burns, who just transferred from Tennessee to Wake, is a name that jumps out to me. Um, Brody Brecht at Iowa. 
both those guys can hit 102, 103 miles an hour. And then Caglione is still here. We'll see what kind of junior year Jack Caglione has too. I'm out. You're um, out mm. on Jack Tawny. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I think that there's a little bit extra hype there. But that said, the last thing I'll mention on this is Reds have the number two pick. Reds have a great farm system. Reds want to make the playoffs next year. I think, you know, they were going to be aggressive anyways. We, we, we've heard them you know, in terms of some of the the reports that we've seen being tied to different trades, tied to different players. And we've already seen them spend a little bit more money than we're used to. But when you know you've got the number two pick, you're instantly adding an impact, impact prospect. And you have that farm system. Maybe they're a little bit more comfortable making that trade. And maybe they'll be a little bit more comfortable parting with the prospect that they didn't want to, knowing that they're about to get someone even better, you know, when the draft comes back around in, in, in half a year. So you're saying glass now? I would rather see them go get Cease and, and set yourself up for a couple years, but that could work too. That could work. Last thing, I promise, I just totally forgot to bring this up. Thanks to Sam Dykstra, who does great work with minor league baseball, mm-hmm. putting this into the ether. Uh, Rangers manager Bruce Bochy on MLB Network talking Wyatt Langford. Quote, this Langford kid, I've already had the chance to see him. He's special. Every step of the way, he just kept putting up those numbers. He'll come into spring training. We're going to stay open-minded. It's going to be competitive. He'll have a chance to make the club. It's all performance-based. I don't care how old they are. See why Chris Young doesn't care. If we think they're ready, then they'll be on the team. Is Wyatt Langford in the opening day lineup for Texas? Yeah. I yeah. think so. And I think there might be some struggles in the big leagues, you know, like any young player. But in spring training, he's going to put on a show. He's going to be fine. He's going to hit well there. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be a really, really, really fun. Um, oh, I just got a text from our guys at the Just Basketball Show. Chris Manning, big Guardians fan. Oh. <laughs> got to let's go. Which, by the way, if if you're a basketball fan, go check out the, the Just Basketball Show. Those guys have been crushing it. Um explaining to me what the hell the in-season tournament is uh actually making me care about it which is cool uh and and just basically if you liked our show i think you'll like a lot of what they're doing on the basketball side over there so go check out the just basketball show i know chris manning is amped about his guardians uh Mm -hmm. as a cleveland guy um let's talk about the kelnick trade let's do it that and that'll lead us into these aos like win totals you you can set the scene here this had to be one of those like I know you had your thoughts right away of like, I'm going to bed and I'll process it tomorrow. Um, It was one of those that just, I don't know. You you feel like you almost would have a dream. It's like, that was such a random trade to have a dream about. And like, it just would never happen. It's it's so weird. It's so random, but I'll break it all down. I think there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense, but it just seems like a weird, like MLB, the show, like fever dream type of trade that makes no sense. I processed it. I have a decent, takeaway from it now but at the beginning i was like what is this so the trade details atlanta received jared kelnick along with marco gonzalez and first baseman evan white who signed that huge pre-arb deal in exchange for cole phillips who has yet to make his professional debut and jackson coar who has really really struggled since being a first round pick out of florida he was you know kind of scraps in kansas city and you know, he made his way over to Atlanta this offseason, and now it's, you know, he's going to Seattle, and he's kind of the headliner of the return. The immediate takeaway was this was a salary dump, and in order to get some sort of prospect back, it was, you know, you attach Kelnick, and Kelnick was probably the odd man out for Seattle. I know he's uber-talented, 
but he hasn't put it together really. And as soon as he did, he front he like he broke a hand punching a punching the bench in the dugout. He broke his foot kicking the dugout bench, kicking the cooler. cooler. Yeah, kick the cooler. That's right. You know, I I think, and it was just the worst time. And you know, there's been some, I think, frustration with the way he kind of goes about his business at times, and, and that just seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back. So you have these ups and downs and he, he still turns in a pretty solid season last year, but nothing insane. And I think that the the Mariners got to the point here where they realized, Hey, I don't know if it's going to happen for Kelnick here. It might happen somewhere else, but I don't know if it's going to happen here. And and that just seemed to be what the the general vibe was. And you know, we talked about it with Walker in terms of like you know the expectations that you can have in certain areas of certain teams, and then getting that fresh start and, and what that can do for you. I think Kellenic came with a lot of expectations, right? He, it, for so long, Mariners fans are dancing on the graves of Mets fans, saying, "How could you give us this superstar in exchange for Robinson Cano?" And then Edwin Diaz continues to to perform and perform and perform, and you know turns into the best closer in the sport and Kalnick starts to falter and falter and falter and and all of a sudden the the perception of the trade changes but I think also a big part of it was hey this is a big building block for us this guy was supposed to be in tandem with J-Rod and you know be a big part of our future and it just hasn't quite happened and I think those expectations weighed on him I think that you could see a guy pressing I think the fact that he broke his foot on a cooler would be a perfect you know I think would be great evidence of the fact that he was pressing and very emotional and and I think it was a tough situation for him I think a change of scenery where he can be the bulk side of a platoon on one of the best teams in baseball where the expectations are you know take care of your role and hitting the bottom of the order I think he can thrive there and he might turn into the Kelnick that we think he can be. But it seemed like the Mariners felt pretty confident that it needed to happen somewhere else. Yes. And I think they're willing to eat if it does happen somewhere else because of the financial relief that they just got maybe, you know, added flexibility to go do things. And this is kind of where I was confused. But after I slept on it, I was like, oh, this makes a ton of sense. Marco Gonzalez is owed $12.25 million this upcoming year. Club option at 15 and 25. Atlanta is going to decline that. Although it sounds like he's not even going to be in Atlanta Brave. They're already looking to move him elsewhere. And then you've got Evan White, who's making seven this year, eight the year after. And then he's got club options at 10, 11, and 12.5 through 2028, which is insane. And those club options are going to get turned down. But that clears about $20 million in space for the Seattle Mariners because Atlanta is eating the money. And Heyman, this tweet went down at like 1130. And at 1215, Heyman said, this clears up a ton of space. This could kind of push them back into the Soto sweepstakes. And I had that light bulb go off. I was like, that's exactly what they just fucking did, didn't they? Yeah. They went to go and, clear space to add a $30 million player. And and even if it's not Soto, right, it could be a handful of different players because they also moved Eugenio Suarez, and that looked like a salary dump in a way too. And that's 13 mil. And they kicked four and a half uh, towards Atlanta, which honestly is not much, I think considering that Evan White is – a guy that hasn't even performed in AAA now. You know, we're talking about this pre-arbitration deal. Like, it's it's a brutal one that I'm sure the Braves are going to give him a chance and see see what he can do uh, because he might as well. You're eating that money, uh, but 
it really was about just being able to get Kelnick there. And then going the other way, though, by the way, the Braves did part with a solid pitching prospect uh, in, in, in Cole Phillips to to be able to get Kelnick. And uh, he hasn't thrown much because of Tommy John, but he was a second round pick. He was up to 99 before going down with the TJ electric stuff that I think the Mariners feel like, okay, you know, this is the highest upside guy. We're going to get in a salary dump type of deal like this, but attaching Kelnick in that deal, they needed to get some upside. They get the pitching depth with Coar. Hopefully they can, you know, find something there. Uh, But on top of that, they get a high upside arm in Phillips who could be, you know, could be a really exciting piece as he gets healthy and should be ready to go at the start of the season uh, with electric stuff. The last thing I'll say on the deal though, is I do really feel like this is going to be them, you know, making an aggressive move. We know that they, they can't work too aggressively financially you know they have those confines that they have to work within we, we that was a whole saga at the end of last year at the end of the regular season talking about winning 55 percent of your games that whole thing that everybody freaked out about uh but they're gonna reinvest this money it's just where uh i'm i'm very excited to see what that looks like that said they are giving themselves the flexibility to to make a fun move happen and we'll probably talk about that in that free agent prediction episode yeah um, one last thing before we get into the AL West, there is some drama coming out of the winter meetings in Nashville. Dave Roberts had media availability and he mentioned that the Dodgers met with Shohei Otani several days ago and he thought that it went well. And Shohei Otani has clearly said out of his camp, if meetings are made public, he will hold that against these teams when he is deciding. Brandon Gomes, the GM of the Dodgers, the number two man to Andrew Friedman, said they aren't going to comment on Otani. He acknowledged that, quote, Dave made a comment. Joel Sherman then asked if this has hurt their pursuit. Gomes said, quote, I have no idea. That's not good, Dave. Did you fumble it? Wow. Oh, no. That's funny. Very strict rules if you want to get Shohei Otani. Very strict rules if you want to give him half a billion dollars to play for you. I I respect and understand why, you know, why he wants it to to be that way, and and, and that's the way he operates. Uh, and there's, but I, I I'd find it very surprising. Like it's fun, and I know people are talking about it, but like if if Shohei Otani thinks the Dodgers are the best location, he's talking about Dave Roberts. Sure. He said that like for no sure. way, but. It is a fun narrative to run with. I'm curious. It is a to cool narrative. It does hurt. It doesn't help. Like the problem is, it doesn't help their chances. It That's really sure. doesn't help. Um, Toronto has had a bunch of smoke around them too, and you know people were flight tracking Ross Atkins, and you know he was laughing about all that stuff. And Ron Washington is making a bunch of I don't want to let the cat out of the bag comments. Like that's not good for negotiations. And somehow the Angels are still in negotiations. Telling you the only team that is allegedly in the sweepstakes that I haven't heard shit from. Is San Francisco. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Talk to you Friday <laughs> or Thursday. Talk to you Thursday. <laughs> Talk to you Thursday. Uh, AL West, let's talk about its season in review. We didn't do this on Monday because we were talking with Walker, but we will do it now. And the premise is we will revisit the win total that was set on each team in the American League West in the preseason by Bet MGM. We made picks. We're going to circle back, assess those picks, see who got what right, who got what wrong, um, and then where they finished and talk about why that team went over or under. And we'll start with the Oakland A's. It was set at 59 and a half. They went 50 and 112. (laughs) So they were nine under. 
for some reason I said they would go over was my reasoning that it was a really low number. You and Peter said under, I said over, so I lost and you guys won. I Why did they go under? Is is it because they have no talent? <laughs> I think that was one of my favorite, like one of my favorite conversations we had because I wasn't expecting to get that charged up. But when you said over and I'm looking at this team and I'm like, the number is so low. I hear you. Like I'm, I'm a big proponent of taking the over on the like 50 win totals. Yeah. But I was just like, holy crap, this is the worst team I've ever seen. And just started getting into it. And then the more I dove into it, the more fired up I got. And I was like, this team freaking stinks. And it was really just that simple. They suck. They didn't even try. I've never seen a team and I've seen some bad teams. And I, maybe not never, but it's rare that you see a team care less about even pretending to try to put something out there that is watchable. Like, yep. and, and we know now, I mean, a big part of it was actually, I think, their owner and John Fisher trying to put the most unwatchable product out there so that he could put his hands up and say, hey, look, nobody wants to come. We got to move this thing to Vegas. He succeeded, man. Yep. I'll tell you that. Fisher succeeded. He put together one of the most unwatchable teams that we've had in a long time. I think probably the most unwatchable team of our lifetime. (sighs) The New Jersey Nets won eight games in like 2009. That was the most unwatchable sports team I've ever come across. Ah, The the John Kitna-led Lions was up there too, but I, I think the 2023 Oakland A's are maybe breaking the Mount Rushmore. It's it's up there. And it just in terms of just like what there is to to tune into, I mean, you looked at the the pitching situation, it was just it was it was insane. And and imagine if they didn't have Brent Rooker. Like they didn't know Brent Rooker was gonna do that. No. They had no idea. If Rooker doesn't do that, where is that team? Like I, it's crazy. Uh but some positives though. I mean, Ryan Noda, like nice get, good find, and an opportunity for him to be able to just play. Right where there's no expectations and uh, and feel it out and continue to grow and he did and I thought he had a really nice season. Zach Geloff comes up and I don't know how sustainable a lot of the things that he did w- w- is, but he proved that he belongs and that he's a good piece. Uh, yeah, I thought that there were some players that at least showed some things and you can yeah. build from there. And I think one of those is Estee Ruiz. Yeah, he fell flat at the end, but I still you know you still feel really good that he's going to be some sort of a big leaguer. Yeah, um, that that was solid. And then you saw Mason Miller at one point. Yeah, I know the injuries are going to be the question, but I mean, you saw when he's healthy, when he's on the bump, it's it's special. So they have some pieces uh, and and those pieces were able to play in a low pressure environment and get an opportunity to get big league reps earlier than maybe they would have like a Tyler Soderstrom who struggled and now can go back to the drawing board and come back next year, you know, right. hopefully looking a little bit better. But I mean, you, you, you got to have better veterans than what, what were their Oledimus Diaz and yep. who else, who else did they add to the fold? Well, Trevor may who Jace retired Peterson. pretty much said, fuck you, John Fisher. Jace yeah. Peterson was another one. I voluntarily watched two Oakland A's games exclusively at any given point this year. And I'm a sucker for big inning. I think big inning is great. So really any Oakland A's baseball I watched was via big inning on MLB TV, but Two times I went to Oakland's broadcast exclusively were Mason Miller's debut and Domingo Herman's perfect game. That's it. Yeah. Sad. Fair enough. I will say the the 2019 Tigers, by the way, 
47 and 114. That's 2019 that's Tigers. Did Miggy play the whole year? I, I don't know. I wonder if there were any redeeming qualities about the 2019 Tigers. 2019 Tigers, 2018 Orioles lost 115 games. And I think that was the year that Chris Davis was blind. Like He legitimately just couldn't hit a baseball if you threw it underhand. So we've had some bad ones. But in terms of just watchability, I, I think this Oakland team was, was up there. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman, by the way, that year for the Tigers in 2019, made 23 starts. He was 1-13 with a 6-9-1 ERA. Um, 2019, I just want to give you the, the slash line against him. Opponents slashed 311, 351, 526 against Jordan Zimmerman. I which, think he made 20, 25 M's that year, too. Yeah, shout out Jordan Zimmerman for getting his bag while sucking. The Texas Rangers had the next lowest preseason win total. They were at 81 and a half. They won 90 games. They were 90 and 72. Oh, by the way, they also won the World Series. You were the only one with the over. Peter and I <laughs> both had under 81 and a half. We both had them at a 500 team or lesser than that. And I think my reasoning was probably worried about the depth. They paid a lot of money for Seager and Semyon. What's the rest of the offense going to look like? And there were massive breakouts from Young and Leody Tavares and Jonah Haim and Nathaniel Lowe looked great this year. I think I was also worried about the pitching depth. And they went about it by saving themselves. Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. Like it- they saved themselves. I mean, if if they didn't, you would have been right. I mean, if, if, if that team doesn't go out and make those moves, I mean, they probably do settle somewhere around there. I mean, it was getting ugly quick when the pitching was getting thin. I think for me, you know, I, I felt like just the, the total was low. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I thought that the Rangers were going to win the World Series. But you just look at that team and you figure, I mean, they can't go 500. And that's that's the thing for me is that you look at that offense, it's just so electric. And the prospects that they did have knocking on the door is always something that gets me way too bullish on certain teams. You know, I was excited about Josh Young. I did not think Evan Carter would get involved, oh. but you know, and then you see him get involved. And then Adolis making that leap. I think in terms of what made this team really cruise over was the moves that they made, of course. But I'd say the other side of it from an offensive perspective was, you know, we, we wondered – how consistent they were going to be. You know, we, we, we saw semi and be Mr. Consistency, but outside of that, right. Is Seager going to be available? What do you get from Josh Young? Is Leody Tavares going to be a guy that you're, you count on every day? What does Adolis Garcia look like? What does Mitch Garver? Like there was a lot of questions going in there. And what I think really worked out with this team was I felt like they all kind of took turns, right? Mm-hmm. But I look at, I look at it like a group of, of, 12 to 13 guys in that lineup, you know, on the offensive side of things, taking turns, just like pulling the cart and guys would get tired, go down. And then somebody else would just step up say, okay, I'm fresh. And they'd pull for a little bit. And that's what stood out to me is, you know, yeah, Nathaniel Lowe have his, his hot streaks. Then he gets cold and Jonah Heim heats up. He gets cold. Josh Young comes back and heats up. Uh, Adoli's banged up. Then you see Leody Tavares step up. Ezekiel Duran was unbelievable in the first half. He falls off a cliff. Other guys step up. Seager turns into the best player in the world. Like it just felt like every time you're waiting for something to to kind of falter, they just plug the leak with somebody else and they stepped right in and succeeded. Ezekiel Duran and Travis Jankowski had turns pulling the cart, and I was just not expecting that. 
coming into this year. So shout out the World Series champs. They flew over nine wins over their preseason win total. The L.A. Angels. And by the way, the next three are all sweeps from us. Um the LA angels were set at 82 and a half. They won 73 games. So they were nine short. All three of us had the over. Yeah. We did it again. We like trout and Otani. We did it again. Trout. Not being Mike trout certainly didn't help the cause, but you just can't win baseball games with two guys. I have to finally admit that. <laughs> like, Even yeah. if they're the two best players on planet Earth, you need more than two guys to win baseball games. And I think the Rangers are the perfect example of that, where they had two guys that they paid a lot of money, but they're nowhere near where they are if, you know, Adolis doesn't step up and Leody Tavares doesn't step up. Zach Neto was good when he got called up, but good for Zach Neto was like a low 700s OPS. It was not, you know, anywhere near impact in, you know, 2023. And he got hurt. And then he got hurt. Like, it was it was a year from hell. And, mm. and I think that we all made the mistake of trusting that Trout and Otani were going to at some point just carry a, a baseball team to 83 wins. Okay, I'm going to be that that just loser who won't admit that he was wrong in this instance because I ju- I genuinely think they go over if they don't get decimated by injuries the way that they did. And I'm not talking about Anthony Rendon. I don't care. Like he's that guy. he's never available. But when you have Zach Neto go down, I mean, I think he was such an important part of what they're doing because you get the big drop off at, at shortstop there and then coming oh, back Hoppy. and just not being totally the same. Logan O'Hoppy was playing like one of the best catchers in the game through the first month or so, and then just he gets hurt and they lose him for the whole season. You're shortstop and your catcher, right? Those are two of the most important positions. I know they're not Otani and Trout, but those are two very important positions to young table-setting type of guys. Taylor Ward only plays 97 games. That's a guy that's been one of your more consistent bats over the last several years. And again, the just the drop-off was so drastic uh, when, when you didn't have those guys. Gio Urshela, he was actually playing fine. He ends up getting hurt. You know, they just didn't have a lot of guys available. And, and I thought that was a big part of it because, yeah, the pitching wasn't, you know, very good and Otani getting hurt at the end of the year didn't help and Tyler Anderson kind of flopping wasn't ideal and Detmer's inconsistency all that stuff but I really feel like if the offense was not so decimated by injuries they still probably finished right around where the bet MGM set them at yeah and that's not even mentioning by the way Mike Trout getting hurt and missing a ton of time and Otani eventually getting hurt yeah I mean he was he was what still hitting, but then they just shut Otani down for like three weeks. I want to say from both. Yep. And then, I mean, how many games did we get a Mike Trout? Eighty-two. Yeah. And and when he was back, he was kind of hurt. Like it just, it's it just good. not one. Of, it's just not one of those situations where like, how are you going to be able to to get by that? How are you supposed to circumvent that? And then they needed to play Trey Cabbage more than twenty-two games. Yeah. I know he only had a five fifty-three OPS, but you you got to give Cabbage more run. Projected slash line for Shanowell. Last thing on the Angels in 2024. Uh, honestly, like I'm not trolling. 270, 380, 340. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's not great. That's, that's exactly what you want out of a first baseman. Yeah, 720 OPS. I think league average this year was about 722. My, my question for you, does Anthony Rendon decide he wants to play baseball no why would he decide that he wants to play baseball now it's been like four years yeah no chance 
I wonder if he decides to be nice to fans this coming year. That's kind of like the next <laughs> thing on the agenda. Or, for me, or do media obligations. Yeah, like anything. Yeah. Anything to make you endearing and make somebody want to buy your jersey. I, I just, I'm curious to see if anybody you know, wants to buy his jersey thanks to his actions this coming year. I don't think he does one thing in the job description. Like the job description is play baseball, but then the other, even the other stuff. Like I don't think he does one thing in the job description. I think he just kind of hangs out. He is Barely. the most forgotten $300 million player of all time. He will be too. He will be moving forward. Two more. Seattle, 87 and a half. All three of us had the over. They won 88 games. They were 88 <laughs> and 74. Great line, BetMGM. Yeah. Uh, this team, I, I think we were amped about what they could do offensively and the magic that they could capture. Their offense was not good this year, especially before the All-Star break. I mean, Julio wasn't an All-Star until like a week before the All-Star game. And, you know, he shoved the OPS up enough. His second half saved him to make the season look really good. And it was a really good season. It was an all MLB caliber season. But man, they DFA'd Colton Wong. We thought Wong was going to be an improvement at second base. Nothing went right for them offensively. Ty France took a massive step back. It was the pitching, man. In particular, the starting pitching. Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby was arguably the best top three in a rotation that we had in Major League Baseball this year. They carried them. And the fact that Bryce Miller showed up and the fact that Brian Wu showed up and, hey, you got a start or two of Emerson Hancock, too. You saw enough promise in the rotation and the top end talent was just so ridiculously good. I, yeah, I thought that you mean you, you hit the nail on the head. There's not too much I can add there. I, I would say we knew the pitching was going to be everyone knew the pitching was going to be good. So that's a big reason why we like the over. But I think the the general conversation was, OK, the offense is going to be better than it was before. And the pitching is going to be just as good, if not better. Well, sign me up for that. Right. Yeah. But the, the guys offensively, as you kind of went through it, that stand out to me that I think really hurt them the most is the corners. Because you know you you gotta get power from first and third. Those are those are two of the most premium power positions you got. And you got a seven oh three OPS from Ty France, and then you got a seven fourteen OPS from Eugenio Suarez. Those two guys combined for thirty four home runs, and they played. Suarez, props to him, he played one hundred sixty two games. Ty France played one hundred fifty eight. They were available. They weren't good. Your first baseman can't slug, can't slug 366, and your third baseman can't slug 391. I know it's not the best place to hit, but that it just can't be that way. And then I would say on top of that, I mean, you could talk about Wong, but even then, like, we were hoping he'd be better. At the end of the day, I don't think second baseman not performing is going to kill you. You could plug somebody else in there, and they ended up doing that and figuring yeah. it out. Uh, you know, Rojas carried the weight. Teoscar was a big letdown, too. Mm-hmm. I, I know he finished okay, finished with a 741 OPS, but I think that was the guy that we kind of circled and said, they needed power. This guy's going to give them that. And he just didn't quite. I know he'd give him 26 homers, but getting on base at a 305 clip, that's frustrating. Cal Rowley finished really strong. I think was a big reason why that win total ended up going over. Yeah, and Raleigh ended up giving him 30 homers, which is nice. Yeah. I was to say I, I I I always do this, and then Mariners fans rip rip me. JP Crawford, he was great. I mean, he was one of the best players in the sport in the second half. Yeah, I think without Crawford, where are they? So they they were carried by the guys I think we expected least. 
Would you have expected J.P. Crawford to have the same OPS as Julio Rodriguez? Identical. They they both OPS 818, and they did it in different ways. J-Rod hit 275 with a 333 OBP. 333 OBP, 485 slug. Got him there. J.P. Crawford walked 94 times this year. That was, I think, top 10 in baseball, man. He had a 380 on base. That at the top of the order is so damn valuable. And getting a 380 OBP from your shortstop, your everyday shortstop, it makes the $50 million deal look very worth it. And I think at time of signing, we were scratching our head like, are we sure they want to commit five years of J.P. Crawford? Good decision, Jerry. Yeah. I, I'll wear that one. I I, I literally said that. <laughs> I think I said that in the first half of this year, you yeah. know, this past season. It it was amazing to see him and really put it together offensively and and balance the walks. And he still hit 19 home runs. And I know that he metrically always grades out sometimes like sporadically. I will always just put him in the good defender bucket. I don't need to look at the metrics. Maybe that's ignorant of me. I don't care. He, I just think he's a good defender. I don't think it's ignorant at all. Uh, last team, the Houston Astros, 95 and a half. They were set out by BetMGM. They only won 90 games. They won 90 games, but they only won 90 games. So they were five below that. All three of us had the over. So I finished one for four. Peter was two and three. You were three and two. We all had the over. We thought the top of the AL West was going to be Titanic with Houston, with Seattle, and with the Angels. We didn't get that. We got the we got that three teams were going to be amazing in the AL West. They had three 90-win teams, right? Or no, they had two 90-win teams. Uh, in, yeah, and then an 88-win team. But we got the Angels and the Rangers wrong. Houston was way more vulnerable than we were expecting. And, and I think it's not a mistake we made, but we took the health for granted in 2022. They had, I think, six guys start games for them in 2022, maybe seven guys start games for them in 2022. They could rely on Verlander, Fromber, Javier, Luis Garcia, and Jose Urquidy. And they just rolled with that. I think Hunter Brown made some late season starts and McCullers might have made a start or two in 2022, but they were fully healthy. The offense, fully healthy. This past year, not the case. Jordan had an oblique thing. Jose Altuve got hurt in the World Baseball Classic. And then you've got Luis Garcia going down. You've got Urquidy going down. You didn't have Verlander for the front half of the year. Thankfully, you got him back. Javier took a major step back. The bullpen totally saved them. And Abreu, Neris, Presley is insane. It's utterly insane. Uh, And I wonder if Neris is back. But... The fact that this offense survived without Jordan for stretches, without Altuve for a long time, was kind of the Astros' way, man. And, and I thought that was a you know testament to Dana Brown and Dusky Baker. Shout out Mauricio Dubon for hitting 300 while Altuve was out. There, there were a lot of guys that kind of filled the gaps just enough for them to win this division. Yeah, can I say it's it's actually remarkable that they were as close to the over as they were. If you really consider everything that happened, and and I'm saying almost from a front office standpoint because you know, the team is the team, and Framber was a fraction of what we're used to, and Javier was worse than that. Hunter Brown, a lot of people were excited about him, five ERA. This team got a lot of their best innings from Justin Verlander, JP France, and at times Brandon Belak. Like that's 
That's wild. Urquidy, just really kind of unusable at times. I think that the biggest thing for me is you have your two best pitchers take a huge step back. You have your rookie stall out. And you have Luis Garcia, who was looking like one of their better arms too and really had settled in as a nice piece, go down. I can't believe that they kept it together on the mound. Um, And I know going to get Verlander helped a ton, but even to be able to survive up until that stretch, again, they were getting a lot of their best outings from JP France. Like that was the guy that gave them the best shot every fifth day for a while. And as you mentioned, the bullpen being insane, that Brian Abreu at a 175 and and Neris at a 171. I think the other side of it too, though, is would you have expected this many, I don't want to be disrespectful, but like this many replacement level players replacing you know for the for the Astros this year on the offensive side too no on and top again of all the pitching issues and again I think that's a health thing like Corey Jolks no, playing no 93 games was totally a health thing and that was a little weird Jake Myers playing as much as he did was a little weird I like that they just settled into Chaz being the full-time guy I'm kind of with Jim Crane you you gotta choose one between Myers and Chaz and and I think Chaz is the easy now. answer it's yeah. not close um but yeah, man, like Kyle Tucker, I think was also just an anchor for them. And, and we'd be remiss if we didn't appreciate the excellence of Kyle Tucker. And I know that he left a bad taste in a lot of baseball fans' mouths with a really tough postseason. But this cat drove in 112, and he was a homer shy of a 30 30 season. He was amazing. He's just amazing every year. He's amazing 26. every year. He's 26. It's wild. But if you want to talk about just kind of like lost production, Pena. You mentioned Altuve, but in terms of you, you lose oh, 70 yeah. games of Altuve. But yeah, in terms of lost production, in terms of output, Pena had taken a step backwards. But even then, like Pena still gives you a 705. He plays defense. And that's that's all you really need. I think it was felt a little bit more when Altuve's not playing for nearly half the season. Uh, you, you don't have Jordan for a third of the season. Those are those are two guys that pretty much set the tone and then i think that they were expecting and vegas was expecting michael brantley to come back a little bit sooner but that shoulder just continued to give him issues and even brantley a subdued brantley giving you a 730 740 ops is going to be better than what you're going to get from a Corey jokes or a jake myers and so i think that was a, a big hit too uh in terms of just being able to maximize their potential and then not playing Yiner Diaz as much as you should, I, I think that hurt him. And I think we're going to see a lot more Diaz, and he was one of the best young hitters in the game in the second half. But, I mean, he lost a lot of at-bats to Martin Maldonado. And I know that Maldonado brings all of those things that they love to talk about in terms of managing a staff, but your two best pitchers sucked relative to what we're used to. Like They, they, they absolutely struggled. So what advantage was there with having your savant catcher that loves that they love to work with? Who can't control the running game. I, yeah, who can't control the – I'd rather have the guy, the catcher slugging 540. <laughs> I think that was the other side of it that was wild to me. Yeah. So that's – I think a little bit of it was the management side of things too. I love Dusty, but I think – yeah, I, I don't know if he fully retired. I think it was like, hey, we'll let you go out on your own terms. I, I'm total conjecture. I'm guessing. But I don't know. I I felt like Dusty rubbed some of the players the wrong way. I felt like Dusty kind of mismanaged the, the roster. And, and that's how you kind of find out what you got with the manager is – not how you manage a really good roster and, and keep it together and manage egos, which is also important. How do you manage the roster through 162 when you have a ton of injuries and a lot of adversity? And I don't I don't know if I loved how Baker handled those things. Yeah, uh, they made it through, but I think that's more 
you know, of a pro for the players than it was, you know, a pro for Dusty Baker. So I'm also I'm stunned that Jose Abreu drove in 90, considering the oh, year. Wait, yeah, we're, we're also totally leaving out, though, that he was the, one of the biggest disappointments, I think, of the, he of the was, year. He was very bad, relatively speaking, for what we've come to expect with Jose Abreu, but he still drove in 90. This guy wow. somehow drives in runs. I don't, Like, does he buy them? Is it one of those things where you finish your round of golf and then you go into the clubhouse and you add, you know, 20 RBIs? I, I don't understand how he drove in 90 this year. Yeah, I did that at Walker's golf tournament. You could donate extra at like one of the holes and they give you an eagle automatically. And I was like, oh, it's the only oh, eagle nice. I'm gonna get. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like that had to be what they did. He didn't even lead the league in sacrifice flies or anything. How, how do you OPS 680 and drive in 90? I, I don't know. The thing that's wild to me is I, I thought he would feast on those Crawford boxes and they paid him a lot of money to, to, to do so. I think that was a big, big pain point for them too because – when you have those guys go down, it's like, okay, well, we just brought in one of the best run producers in the sport over the last handful of years. And yes, he drove in 90, but that only matters so much. You could you could argue that he was put in a lot of situations that a replacement player could have maybe driven in those runs too. I I, I think that was one of the more surprising aspects of the offensive side of things because I really did think even at 36 that he was going to ball out for them this year. Yeah, I thought year. so too. All right, that's the American League West. Uh, again, I went one and four. You went three and two. Peter went... Two and three. So we will do the American Central and the American League East at some point. It might not be tomorrow's episode because tomorrow's episode is going to be uh, a behemoth where we are predicting free agent destinations and some trade destinations as well. Every link you need is in the episode description. It'll be all three of us tomorrow if Peter can figure out big tech. Cool beans. Sounds good to me. Enjoy Nashville. uh, Live from the winter meetings, reporting nothing. So I'll check in after that. That'll be great. I like your crew neck today. Thank you, man. See ya. See ya.